people pay good money to see this movie. When they go out to a theater, they want cold sodas, hot popcorn, and no monsters in the projection booth. Everyone pretend podcasting isn't boring. Turn it off. Hey folks, welcome to a special episode of The Projection Booth. I'm your host, Mike White. On this episode, I'm talking with director Sheldon Ledich, actor Brian Thompson, and author Corey Dana, who wrote Sheldon Ledich, From Vietnam to Van Damme. We talk a bit about the book and a lot about Mr. Ledich's first film, Firefight, which is now available to watch on YouTube. I started off by asking Mr. Ledich how he went from his career in the military to filmmaking. Yeah, there was a long... Uh gap there between the military and actually doing some motion picture work. I was a photographer for a number of years, mostly doing architecture. And I wanted to be a cinematographer at first, and I went to the American Film Institute as a cinematography fellow. I, I shot some, uh, some little student movies for the directing fellows, and then I got, we all had the opportunity to make our own movie while we were there. It was on half-inch VHS. I made this little science fiction epic based on an Arthur C. Clarke short story. And then I kind of had a knack for it. I had a knack for uh, directing as well as cinematography and for writing as well. That's where I first tried my hand at writing because um, we had screenwriting fellows, cinematography, directing, and producing. The screenwriting fellows, a lot of them had graduated from very prestigious universities. They you know, had like ma had a master's degree in creative writing, MFA, all this kind of stuff. So I was quite impressed with um, their resumes. And then I started reading some of their screenplays that they're writing. Uh, they were just writing short screenplays that we could actually show there at the school. I was kind of shocked by how poor some of this stuff was. Writing, telling stories, it's an innate talent that you're you're born with. And of course, you, you can pick up some stuff along the way, reading books, watching movies. But when it comes to writing or acting, also is another one, either you got it or you don't got it. I just felt, well, I'm going to try writing a little screenplay myself because I think I could do at least as good as these people are doing. So that's got me, that's what got me started on my screenwriting path. And then um, uh, as a cinematography fellow, I was shooting movies for the directing fellow. And I found that I was giving them way too much help because, and a lot of them, they also had, you know, MFA and master's degrees and all this, but they really didn't have a clue as to where to put the camera. Some of them were really good with talking to actors, but beyond that, they really didn't have it. It's not everybody. So a few people who are in my class went on to uh, have a nice career in the business, but I just felt that I had a knack for directing also. And so then... Um, I co-authored this play called Tracers about Vietnam, and I wrote this one. One of the scenes that I wrote was the story that became Firefight. Most of the scenes were, it was dialogue between, you know, we had various characters. I think we had about, about six characters in it. It was mostly dialogue stuff. And this was kind of a big, epic scene that could not have been staged uh, properly in a small theater. Uh, so the director decided we're we're just we're going to dump this one. We can't use this. It's just too big. But I was in love with the story, and I wanted to do something with it. I felt it deserved a, a cinematic treatment. 
And I just couldn't get that story out of my mind. So then a few years later, I decided, well, shoot, I'm going I'm to film this thing. I'm going to make this little movie. And that I um, raised the money, put pulled our cast and crew together. And I have to admit, Frank Dukes helped me a lot. I asked Frank if he wanted to be involved in making this little movie. And he did. And he did see himself as a potential movie star at the time. He won't admit it now, but he really was. He saw himself as like the next Tom Selleck, okay? Which was realistic at the time. I thought he could be an actor. He could be some kind of a TV star or something. So I said, okay, Frank, why don't you, how about if I give you the lead role in this little movie and you help me put it together? And he did. He actually put a little bit of money into the budget. And he got a number of his friends to be in the movie, like the Reed brothers. I didn't know those guys. Frank knew them. So Frank asked them if they wouldn't mind playing Viet Cong in the movie. And there were a few others, there were like some other stunt people as Frank knew. And he pulled them in. And so they ended up doing a lot of the stunt work in, in the movie. And the actual casting we did by putting an ad in, there was a periodical called Drama Log that came out, I think, once a week. And it would have ads for, you know, we're, hey, we're looking for actors for this and for that, and our articles about an actors. And we put an ad in there, and that's how we got Brian. Brian was reading Drama Log uh, every week, and he saw the ad and answered it. And uh, so he ended up having his first on-screen role, uh, which uh, I guess led to a lot of other things. So basically, that's why people were working on the movie. We weren't paying anybody any salary, but we promised them a half-inch VHS tape, which everybody got. So then they were able to use that, uh, put that on their acting reels. And of course, I was able to use the film as a uh, directing sample. That actually ended up working out pretty good for me because I met Van Damme and and we hit it off. And I met him through Bloodsport, of course. And then um, he he, uh, got this Lionheart project set up, which was originally called The Wrong Bet. That was his original title. And so I was hired to write the screenplay. Eric Carson was supposed to direct the movie at first, but John Claude wanted me to direct the movie uh, just because he'd worked with Eric. And Eric was basically, you know, Eric's a decent director, but he didn't really have passion for John Claude. He didn't really believe in John Claude the way that I did. And I really believed in him at the time. So. John Claude wanted me to direct the movie, and I sh- he saw Firefight, so he thought that was enough to demonstrate to him that I could I could direct a movie, and he showed it to Sunil Shaw. Uh, we showed this little movie to a number of people, and added on 35 millimeter, so it was very easy for them to put up in their screening rooms, their private screening rooms, and watch it on a big screen. And uh, apparently, uh, we we sold Sunil on it, and that's how I ended up. Had we not sold him. Then he, w- I would not have directed the movie, or I would have been fired after a few days if I if I was screwing up. But he had Eric as a producer, so Eric was basically waiting in the wings just in case I screwed up really bad, and then he could bring Eric in to finish up the movie. So it ended up being a good thing for me. And um, Brian, I'm sure you put it on your your reel, right? Or did you? <laughs> you know, editing back then was very difficult. So Sheldon Firefight, the clips that I had did not make it on the reel. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Oh, yeah, because back then, we didn't have all these digital tools. It was uh, pretty difficult to do that kind of stuff. 
I had a line here and a line there. It wasn't like I had like a, a even a fifteen second continuous. Yeah, it's not like you had a long passage of dialogue or something. So yeah, where were you at in your career, Mister Thompson, when Firefight came along for you? I had just finished my second year of graduate school in the Master of Fine Arts Acting Program at the University of California, Irvine. In my you know, search for material and then my own interest, I had coincidentally been reading just about every nonfiction book written about Vietnam at the time. And I also was embarking upon auditions in Hollywood as often as I could just to get over this dragon of fear that I had uh, when I would audition. You know, you want it so badly this dragon of nerves would show up and you know many times the you know the best performance got left at home when during rehearsal and i had been submitting to drama log uh, my picture resume in the hopes to get an interview and this was the very first picture and resume that i had sent out that actually led to an interview for a film in hollywood the very first one i was it was, Sheldon, do you remember what month of the year it was that you submitted to Dramalog? I don't, but I know that we filmed in August of 1983. Yeah, we filmed at the end of August. So did we, was it in Dramalog in July? Was it earlier, later than that? Would have been earlier, I think. Yes. Earlier than July? Yeah. Yeah, because I actually sent a notice to uh, Backstage West to see if they have the archive Dramalog. So if we get that blurb, that would be an interesting thing to have, the, the little wad ad that I responded to. You know what? I think I have it in my files, yes. I think I have that original ad from uh, Dramalog. Well, I just went digging through my folders, and I found, Sheldon, I found a folder that was labeled Firefight. I did not find the picture of me with my birthday cupcake, because I turned 23 years old on the set of Firefight. But, but look, did this look familiar? Yes, it does. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a contract. It's got your signature on it, so maybe that's worth something. I've got Frank Dukes' contract with his signature, so that's probably going to be worth more, I would think. <laughs> You're right about that. The notorious Frank Dukes. You know, you got to think about how you know naive we are at the time and how we take people on, on their word. And so, you know, I met these two guys in Hollywood who who both said they were Vietnam veterans making this short about Vietnam, which I, I was fascinated with how narrowly by just a few years, I, I missed out on being drafted, how I could have been these guys, you know, from dispatches, I read them three or four other books, the titles of which I don't remember right now. And so I was very committed and passionate about, you know, representing the, the harrowing experience that these guys had been through. Well, I wish we could have made something something even bigger. The other day, somebody, when I was doing this other interview, uh, somebody was saying, um, hey, how about you making a Vietnam movie with, uh, with Scott Atkins and Brian Thompson? And I forgot what other names they said, but uh, I said, yeah, I'm, hey, I'm all for that. Okay, I'd love to make a big Vietnam movie with uh, Brian Thompson. So, Corey, as the biographer of Sheldon Lettich, Curious, what was the, your first experience with his filmography? I remember seeing Bloodsport the first time in a theater. I seen it, you know, the opening weekend. You know, I remember seeing his name 
later on I would see his name on you know other things like Rambo Three or you know Lionheart, and the name it always yeah you know, always stuck with me. And you know, I ended up having all those posters hanging on my wall as a kid, so you know his name was all around me growing up. You know, it's, it's somebody whose career I followed you know, most of my life, and I've always gone back to those films too. You know, you know being a film geek and I've always, you know, leaned more towards the action and horror type films and stuff, especially, you know, action films. And some of those films that he did back then were, you know, were and still are like seminal pieces. I mean, look at how many times Bloodsport's been, you know, copied or imitated and how often people still talk about Bloodsport. Bloodsport, Blood Fist, Blood Match. There was so many, so many ripoffs of it. I wouldn't call them ripoffs, actually, more like they were homages, okay? They were homages to uh, Bloodsport. Mortal Kombat, you know? <laughs> Mortal Kombat, absolutely. In fact, I've read, I've read some scholarly articles about this within the last few years. Where people are talking about how Bloodsport led to mixed martial arts, Mortal Kombat, led to a lot of stuff. So the big impact on, on our culture all over the world. So anyways. Uh, I was very curious as far as how you shot firefight was that 35 or 16 we shot 16 millimeter this would have been so much easier nowadays but back then there was no digital nobody had nobody had smartphones okay um uh and basically i had to rent equipment they had to go to these equipment houses and rent 16 millimeter cameras and then um you got to buy the film stock you got to get the film stock developed then you got to get it printed, and then you edit. You have to have to have. Uh, you can't just do it on. A, there were no such thing as those computers back then. You didn't have a computer screen. Basically, you had to get movieolas and cams and all this stuff. So it was a long, long process, and that's why it took so long for me to have a completed film. Was we were shot in '83, and in '86 it was finally completed, and I was able to show it to people. Yes, yeah, so it was 16 millimeter, and then. I blew it up to 35. It would have been impossible to shoot this thing in 35 because the cameras were huge. And as it was, we had to schlep all the stuff up on top of the hill and Camp Pendleton. And when he says schlep, I'm going with an elevation from the road to where this convenient location that the director chose. I would say elevation change of a couple hundred feet and probably a minimum a quarter mile. And it wasn't really a it wasn't really a trail. It was just this incline up this brush. There was no trail. Yeah, we made our own trail. Somebody had a truck and drove the pickup truck up there. And then once uh, there, they handed you a shovel and you started digging. I had no art department. I had no assistant directors. I had no no costume people. So basically, I just had a big box boxes of boots and. Uh, uh, uniforms and all this stuff, and I told all the actors, "Okay, pick out some, pick out some uniforms that fit you." All right, and then, okay, now we got to dig some foxholes, and we used entrenching tools. So you guys were kind of getting into it. You're kind of feeling like, you know, this is what it feels like to be a grunt in Vietnam. You know, I got my, I got my entrenching tool here and this little shovel, and I'm digging a hole to make a foxhole for myself. So yeah, we had to do, we did all that stuff, and not, nobody really complained. I think they were kind of having fun playing, playing soldier and, you know, firing uh, fake M16s and having battles. It was an interesting experience for everybody. One thing I learned also 
don't mix actors and stuntmen unless you rehearsed everything. Let the stuntmen do the stunt stuff. Let the actors do their dialogue. Keep them separated. Because there was this one uh, little fight scene we had where Brian and Philip Ree are tangling in a foxhole. And Brian had a helmet on. And we had the film. We saw it on film. And Brian uh, jerked his head back and hit Philip right in the mouth. The brim of the helmet, the sharp brim in the back, right. caught his tooth. Caught his tooth. And it basically snapped his tooth in two. It was, it was kind, of, kind of horrendous. And you could see him reaching up for his tooth like, like this. And Philip Ree is a pretty tough guy, but he was in pain. And fortunately, we were at Camp Pendleton, and we drove him down to the, the um, they had doctors and dentists there on duty. So we were able to get his, his tooth worked on. But um, that wasn't your fault, Brian. Basically, I should have rehearsed that fight with you guys, but I didn't do it because I was, a, I was an amateur myself. And I haven't made mistakes like that since. Not you, Actually, no, I haven't really made mistakes like that. Uh, uh, and uh, you've worked on... Ryan's worked on, I think, four movies with me, not including Firefight. I think it's it, four including Firefight. Lionheart, Perfect Target, and The Order. I guess that's it, so that's four of them, including Firefight. And Sheldon still regrets not getting me the lead in Ruskies. He would have been really good in that. And Jean-Claude, when he saw the movie, they got him into a screening before the movie opened, and uh, he saw it and he said, you know what? I would have been much better in that lead role than the guy you had. And I agreed with him. He didn't send that home. You just did not get any Russian out of that guy. No, no. And But imagine imagine if that guy was Dolph Lundgren, you know, the, the Bruski. You know, that there's this there's this formidable terror and foreign quality to this thing that the kids encounter. But it was kind of like they were meeting the, their neighbor. It kind of gave up in that neighborly vibe. That was Joaquin Phoenix's first leading role. He went by the name Leith Phoenix at the time, but he was pretty much the lead kid. We had like three kids who captured this Russian sailor. And Joaquin Phoenix was like the main guy with the most, he had the most dialogue in the film of anybody. Yeah, you could have been the Russian, right? Or you could have been the bad guy too. We had, uh, I think Patrick Kilpatrick played uh, this villainous character. We'll find a way to insert you digitally one of these days. Ruskies, too. We'll get E.H. Joaquin Phoenix so we can have him reprise his role as a teenager once again. Corey, you talked about how you grew up with all of these posters and all the movies that you're seeing that the children directed and wrote. And I'm so curious, what made you decide, I want to write a book about this guy? And what was that process like for you? That was actually Sheldon's idea. He'd come to me. And I, I had written, um, I did an interview with him and we did like a retrospective on Lionheart. And um, he actually really, really liked how it turned out. And Corey wrote a really terrific article about Lionheart, uh, which he interviewed me for. But then right around that time, I was thinking about uh, doing this biography. So I thought, this guy did a great job with uh, Lionheart. So let me ask him if he wants to do a whole book about me. And basically, that's how it came about. He and I, you know, had a pretty good rapport going back and forth and things, you know, kind of kind of worked itself out. I mean, I don't think we came across anything too difficult. Everything just kind of, you know, kind of fell into place. It was all pretty smooth because I wasn't just relying on my memory. I have 
I have files here. I've saved, I save shit. I save paperwork. I have all my contracts from every one of these movies. So I was able to look up dates and places and things like that. But also, I was able to, using IMDb, that was a real handy tool because I could not remember everybody's, the names of all the actors and producers and all of that. So I was able to use that. And uh, I think the book is, is pretty damn accurate, actually. In fact, the only one who questions its accuracy is, is Frank Dukes. So <laughs> but that's, eh, that's not surprising or unusual. Sheldon, you mentioned some of the films that you were you know, working on for other people and some of the things that you had also directed. Were all these available for you, Corey, to, to see and to kind of put together Sheldon's career was like? Sheldon had gotten me a copy of Firefight to see before, you know, I got started on everything. So that was actually, you know, really helpful and was kind of blown away. I gave Corey the um, the crappy VHS version that I'd handed out to people. And I, I made him swear that he was never going to show it. And so I made a better copy because the VHS, I think it looks really bad. It's the same movie, but it just it just feels cheap seeing it on VHS. And the, with this, the 2K transfer that I made, I think it looks it looks pretty damn good. It looks like a real movie. It looks epic. It really does. I was watching it again last night, and you know, it, it did. It really felt like it felt like a big, you know, war scene, a war movie, and it was pretty impressive. And I'm happy to see that it's finally out because I mean, historic, you know, the historical significance of that. You know, everyone that's in it, I mean, it's it's got to be like a dream for some people to see things, you know, Brian Thompson's first acting role or, you know, Philip and Simon Reed, the first time, you know, they actually had a, you know, a significant role. Cause that, that's right. Philip and Simon had not been in anything prior to that. And actually, Frank Dukes is the guy who introduced me to them. I think I mentioned that already. So he was actually quite helpful. He was a pretty good partner on that. He comes off pretty well in the movie, too. It's nothing embarrassing. But I think one thing that you can see, uh, people have asked me, well, why didn't you use Frank Dukes in some of your other movies? How come he didn't have like small roles or supporting roles in some of your other films? And basically, he's not an actor. He does okay in Firefight, but there really wasn't all that much to do. And, you know, he doesn't have, he does actually have more dialogue than anybody else in the film, but he comes off okay. But he's just not, a, he was just not a movie star. Now, with, uh, with Brian, for example, and I'm not saying this to pump up your ego, but you could just see, like, okay, this guy's a real actor, all right? He had a presence. You know, eventually other people realized that, you know, James Cameron and Stallone and, and, and all of that. So, uh, so Brian, um, that's why Brian's had a successful career as an actor, which is a tough career to have, actually. So I've known so many people who've tried and failed. Brian's pretty much maintained well, it's like 40 years now since we did Firefight, and you're still getting acting roles, okay? Knock on wood, but it's not just luck. It's, uh, it's just you've got the goods. You've got the ability. You're a good actor, but you've also got an interesting quality about you. You have a presence. I think that's why you've endured all these years. Well, Sheldon, I just put together uh, a uh, 40 characters in 40 minutes that I put on YouTube, very few of those characters are the same. You're talking about 40 characters that you played in 40 different movies? In 40 minutes, yeah. You know, you think about what sustained a career. You know, I, I, I sustained a career by being able to play a, a wide variety of parts. To a certain degree, that's a detriment because these people know Brian as this 
you know, Zed Booty Sheriff of Key West, Florida. That was the biggest job I've ever had, playing Sheriff Cody in Key West. So over at Viacom, I was a, a comedic actor. But then over over here, you know, I played these villainous parts. And, and at, at Paramount, I played a lot of, you know, aliens. And so being known, like when you hire, you know, Sam Elliott, you got Sam Elliott. You know, he's a fantastic actor and he's known for, you get him for that part. So one casting director said, Brian, you know, you're a chameleon, but I don't, I, I don't, I don't really have a way, an ingredient to describe you. I think with the, the group that we have here, we pretty much remember you for your villainous roles in the Cobra, especially. But you've played you've played a lot of scary characters, a lot of villains. So I think when people mention Brian Thompson, that's generally what 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 comes to mind is what was the the character in Cobra was it the Night Stalker or something. Yeah, when I was in college, people you know they told me that I was going to make my money in comedy. You think about it, you know, when you're doing plays in college, there isn't these strictly villainous parts that are, are sort of in film. Uh, maybe you're going to help me describe that a bit. But, you know, in film, like in more, I, I can't think of a, a play uphand that has like Shao Kahn in Mortal Kombat or, or the Night's Slasher from Cobra. Are there plays that have this particularly villainous part? Films are more simplistic. You've got your good guy with the white hat. You've got your bad guy with the black hat. You were usually the guy with the black hat. And that is in the movies that succeeded. There's not a lot of nuance, especially in action movies, especially in Stallone movies and, and the Van Damme movies and Schwarzenegger movies. There's, there's not much in the way of nuance there. It's either you're, either you're one, of the, one of the good guys or you're one of the villains. You're one of the bad guys or you're one of the, the henchmen with the bad guys. The guy that has to meet his end, that has to be torn apart, and the audience feels satisfaction in seeing him destroyed. The guy that has to be impaled on a meat hook by Sylvester Stallone. Actually, that's uh, you know pretty amazing. Ryan has been killed by some of the biggest action stars in the business. So he's been killed by Stallone, Schwarzenegger, Van Damme, and am I missing anybody there? Chuck Norris. Oh, okay. Wow. <laughs> Steve Martin shot me in Three Amigos. James Kahn got you pretty good in Alien Nation. James Kahn kicked me in the balls in Alien Nation. But he didn't know that aliens didn't have balls. He kicked me in the balls and I said, doesn't they teach you anything about us in cop school? Slow go. I'm so happy you still remember the line from all these years later. Well, how many scenes have I got to do with James Kahn? Oh, two. You even came back for the TV show. It's a different character, though, I think. Uh, you've done some research here. This guy's a fan, Brian. Okay. Going back to Firefight, how long was the shoot? It was two weekends, two weekends at Camp Pendleton, so four days total. Very rugged and also at the same time very exciting. Uh, on my birthday, Sheldon let me go. He gave me a ride in a Huey helicopter. Remember that, Sheldon? He let me go up in the helicopter. Did you go in the Huey, or did you go in the actual helicopter we were using? We went up in the Huey. Oh, because the helicopter we were using was not a Huey. That was a CH-46 Sea Knight. Well, it was the big double-bladed... Yeah, that was not a Huey. That's not a, no, that's... Oh, what's the, what's the difference? Well, Huey's got one blade. 
Really? Yeah. Oh, I always thought a Huey was the big double-bladed one. No, no, that's that's what the Army was using in Vietnam. They were using Hueys, and they have a single blade and a much smaller helicopter. Uh, the CH-46, it's a, it's a big, big helicopter. Yeah. You could carry an entire squad of Marines, whereas with the Huey, you could, depending on which Huey it was, you could maybe fit like seven or eight guys on a Huey in addition to the pilot and co-pilot. Okay, so I got to go in a CH-46. CH-46, absolutely. And it doesn't have like a, it doesn't have a nice name like a Huey? I don't like the name. It's The name is a Sea Knight. It doesn't really describe it well, does it? No, I don't like Sea Yeah, no, Huey has much more character. Yeah, I was amazed when that showed up in the movie because I was just like, is this from another film? Did he like lift this footage? And then when I realized that you had shot it, I was just like, my God, the production values for this are amazing. I'm a former Marine myself. So basically, I went to the Marine Corps base and I got, I got some good cooperation from these guys. And they gave me that helicopter to use. I told them I only needed it for about an hour or two. If you had to pay for that as a Hollywood production, it would have been more money than you spent making the entire movie. Oh, for sure. No, it would have been more money per hour. Then spent the entire movie. It's basically movie productions are on the hook for the fuel costs. And those things use a lot of fuel. I was supposed to be on the hook for the fuel costs and keep it quiet, but I never paid them you know, fuel costs. Okay. <laughs> it was a few thousand dollars. Did they send you a bill? I think they did. Yeah. I think they did send And they just bill. said, ah, he's a he's a vet. Let's let's take care of him. That's pretty much the way they, they felt. So they uh, they took care of me. Hey, I want to ask you a question here because there's been some controversy over this. Did Frank Dukes ever tell you that he was awarded the Medal of Honor? Of course. He showed it to me. Right, right. Okay. He showed it to me. He took it to his house and he broke out these, these you know, boxes that he, you know, these cases that were vinyl lined. I don't know if they were, I think they were dark blue and dark red. You know, he showed me medal after medal. Yeah, absolutely. None of which he actually earned because he was never in Vietnam. He was never in combat. But he used to tell these stories. Everybody. We had a producer on, on Firefight named Peter DeBear. We had these Marine advisors that were there keeping an eye on us the whole time. And he said, oh, yeah, and another producer, Frank Dukes, he's a Medal of Honor recipient. And Marines look at one another and they say, really? So... This was pre-internet, okay? This was pre-Google. He couldn't look this shit up uh, easily. And so we kind of took Frank's, we kind of took his word for it. When he actually showed me the medal, that made me think, well, maybe he did win a medal of honor because he actually had it at his house. He showed it to me, and he showed it to you too. So these Marines, they come back the next day, and they say, well, you know what? We've got a book lists all the medal of honor recipients, and Frank's name's not in it. How do you explain that? Well, Frank, how do you explain that? And uh, he basically, he's good at doing like a little tap dance and, you know, thinking, you know, thinking of a way out of this. And he came up with a novel solution. He said, well, the mission I was on was so secret that they couldn't reveal any details about it. So it was a secret medal of honor that was secretly awarded to me. All right. And People who really know about this stuff have said that's absolutely impossible. There's no such thing as a secret Medal of Honor. It's going to be in the record book somewhere, and it wasn't. But uh, he's been telling people 
blasting it all over the internet that I'm the one who's lying, that he never showed me the medal. So I just wanted to set the story straight here, Brian. I'm not the only one he showed it, showed it to you too. And you remember, he used to tell people he was a war hero, that he had all these medals. And I remember the meeting really distinctly in his house. It was night, it was nighttime. And, and I remember just the uncomfortableness of him having to promote his own story. Because people that have done these things often don't want to talk about it. People that have had this giant success or, or had been in these harrowing experiences, those are things that, you know, that they'll acknowledge in a, in a shrug of the shoulders and, and want to move the subject onto something else. Another phrase that Frank did that, that caused me to, to kind of wince he also brought out a bunch of weapons and knives and, and, and things. And he kept saying, and you see how professional I am at this? You see how professional this is? He, he, he used that word professional in every other paragraph to tell you that he's a professional rather than just let the actions speak for themselves. In his book, he wrote this book called The Secret Man about himself. Uh, and uh, he's got a photo in there, which... Um, it's him in a camouflage outfit, and he's holding up a 357 Magnum. And um, he labels the photo as down in the trenches in 1983, basically making it seem like he was on a real mission. But it's a photo that he took while we were shooting Firefight. He's got the same uniform on that he wore in Firefight. And he's holding up a 357 Magnum, and he's saying, yeah, here's the 357 Magnum, and this is what distinguished uh, special forces personnel. And basically, there's no way that special forces is going to use the 357 Magnum. First of all, it's heavy. It's noisy. And you basically, if you're special forces, if you're doing stuff clandestinely, you want to keep the noise down, all right? A 357 would have, would have woke up Ho Chi Minh in Hanoi, okay, because it's so damn loud. So you know, just, it's just weird but that he, he put it in his book and he said, here I am, down in the trenches. And I had to expose that a few times. And then he says, uh, I've exposed it enough times. Then he says, well, that was me. I didn't say that I wanted to label it that way. It was the editors of the book. The editors are trying to pump me up. So let's get off the subject of him because we end up talking about this guy too much. But I just wanted to get, now that we got you here on camera, all right, Okay, here's Brian Thompson. Brian doesn't have a reputation of being a bullshitter, and neither do I. And Brian is flat out telling you, yes, Frank showed me a Medal of Honor and said that he's a recipient. So there we go. That's that's done with. Yeah, it is interesting how the you know, you don't want to talk about him, but it's the oddball, you know, on the graph of our memories that stands out. You know, it's the peak on the graph. And and without exception, his character and what he's done and the, the spinning of tales, that is the peak on a graph. There, we know, I don't know that anybody else knows anybody that has tried to spin so much fiction as reality. He's the champion when it comes to that kind of stuff. And the only reason we end up talking about him because he keeps publicizing this stuff. He keeps telling, he can't let, he can't let the story go because it would be, you know, he would lose face. So he can't admit that there was no Kumite. He didn't win this trophy in the Kumite. He, he was not the first 
non-Asian to win the Kumite. And then, uh, and then he always spins these stories further and said that, uh, well, he was awarded a, a sword, a special sword, because he, uh, he was the winner of the Kumite. So people have asked him, well, where's that sword? Can we see the sword? No, I don't have it anymore. Because I traded it, uh, there were some pirates that had some orphans that they had taken hostage. Have you guys heard this story before? No. <laughs> a boatload of orphans, orphans, okay, that were being held hostage by pirates, and he traded them his sword for the freedom of these orphans, all right? I'm not making this up. He's the one who's making it up. I'm just <laughs> he came up with crazy shit like that. Because when, when pirates want to hold people hostage, the number one thing they want in return for the hostages is a sword. A sword, yeah. Yeah. Well, they want they want money, but the sword is the Pumite sword. So, wow, that's worth a lot of money. So, okay, we'll take the Pumite sword. Here, you can take all the orphans. And then he says, all of some of the stuff that he's, he said on the internet, and he says, uh, I'm still in touch with those orphans today. They're, you know, they're all growing up, and they would kill for me if I asked them to. Let's interview those orphans, Frank. Right, right. <laughs> and you're in touch with them. Uh, give us their names. So you shot Firefight in 83. It comes out in 86, you said, I think? Correct, yes. So in the meantime, are you still keeping in touch with everybody? Or, is, or Brian, are you just going like, yeah, I shot this thing a couple years ago. I don't know what's going on. Basically, Brian and I became really good friends on the bed of firefight and we stayed in touch we've been we've been friends ever since then you know so i've ended up using him in other movies i even created roles for him like the role in lionheart that the character russell did not exist but i wanted to put brian thompson in the movie so i came up with that character and that worked out pretty darn good and i it was kind of an impromptu thing for john claude to kick you in the face at the end and the fight yeah we just came up with that just on the spot, like, hey, Brian, what, what, hey, Jean-Claude, what if you kick Brian in the face and he gets knocked back in the stand? Very good idea. Brian, what do you think? Yeah, okay, I love it. And, and Shell, I don't know if I told you, a lot of people comment about that. They're, that That is a memorable moment of the movie. They go, oh, Jean-Claude kicked you in the face. They'll come up, I've had people come up and say that to me. I have read about it online also, where people talk about that being one of their, one of the highlights of the movie is the fact that the Brian's character gets his comeuppance at the end for being such a jerk. He gets his comeuppance and Van Damme kicks him in the face. And uh, You know, I saw the movie a number of times with audiences, and that did get applause. That was a fun movie to, to make. And by the way, I'm doing an um, autograph show next weekend. Actually, I'm leaving Saturday. I'm going to New Jersey. Deborah Renard is one of the, one of the guests there. The name of that, that one, Sheldon? It's like Super Mega Fest or something. It's not. Uh, it's not Chiller. No, it's it's in New Jersey. You've been to a number of these, right? I yeah, I do. A, I do a couple every year. I haven't done one yet, so so we'll we'll see how that goes. Yeah. Do you have a Do you have a nice picture of yourself to autograph? What are you autographing? I have a few of them. They asked me to um, make a make a few eight by tens. Yeah, I've got a little stack of them here. I've got. Uh, I mostly mostly wanted photos of me with some other major celebrity. So I've got one with me and John Claude and Charlton Heston. I've got one with me and Dolph Lundgren. And I do have one from Lionheart with Deborah Renard and Harrison Page and John Claude. So uh, I don't know. I'll be taking those with me and autographing them. 
So when did you decide to restore Firefight and do the whole 2K restoration of it? I'd been wanting to do it for a long time. And this is not an inexpensive process. And my friend Luis Esteban, who co-wrote Only the Strong with me, he was working on a film. They were having work done at a lab called Photocam in Los Angeles. So he was in he was in pretty tight with some of the people that were doing that that, that were doing work there at Photocam. Uh, and I asked him, Hey Lou, can you hook me up with some of these whoever it is that you're working with? And let me see if I can get firefight transferred for, you know, without paying an exorbitant price. Yes. Yeah, so he hooked me up with, with somebody who was doing that kind of stuff. I brought over the 35 millimeter print. They made the 2K version from the, uh, the print. And I think it looks gorgeous. There was also the option to go 4K with it. 4K was going to be at least twice as much money. Plus, I wasn't planning on screening to some movie theaters. Yeah, 2K is good enough. You know, if you've got your 70-inch TV at home, 2K is going to look pretty damn good on that. 4K is if you're going to be projecting it on a big screen in a movie theater. And I wasn't going to do that, so so we went with 2K. And What was it like for you when you got to actually hold that book in your hands and, and see you know, your life all spread out in those pages? It was, it was kind of thrilling, but kind of anticlimactic also, because you know, we, we'd spent months working on it. I had the, the galley proofs and all of that. So I spent enough time looking through it to where it wasn't, um, it wasn't that much of a thrill. Just like watching my movies, by the time you grew making these movies, you've watched the damn movie a hundred times. You've watched every shot a hundred times. You're, you're a little tired of it. The only way to get a thrill out of watching one of my old movies is with an audience. And I can see with an audience, you kind of, you can kind of, I can feel their reaction. And uh, that's, that's pretty cool to watch it on a big screen with an audience in a theater. But otherwise, I can't put, you know, I can't put Lionheart up on the, I can't put DVD on and, and, and watch it again. I've just seen it too many times. Yeah. And then, you know, then, uh, you know, we did, uh, we did the DVDs and Blu-rays, we did commentaries. So it's just no kind of a thrill for me to see it anymore unless I'm watching it with an audience. And with the book, of course, you can't watch that with an audience, but with the book, it's just great hearing people talk about it, to see the reviews. We've got all these reviews on Amazon. And basically, yeah, people give it, give it uh, five stars. So it's uh, done well. People have liked it. Here we are talking about it on a Zoom session. So that's um, uh, I, I get a I get a real kick out of that. I love talking about the book. I love talking about my career. All of that is great. But actually, holding it in my hands, well, that kind of does nothing for me because I've I've, I've already read every one of these pages. In fact, I worked on every one of these pages. The big thrill is just seeing that it, it's out there. It's in bookstores, and that's. Uh, that's the where I get the real satisfaction. I do want to ask. I know you said that you've got the, the autograph show coming up. What else are you working on these days? Uh, well, I'm working on a few different projects. Actually, um, we'll see if any of them come to fruition. But there's one that I've been involved with for about a year called Fight Pride. You can see that on it's on IMDb, and it's really starring this guy named Daniel Stissen, who's from Norway. He's Norwegian. And he's in a new movie that's just out. Hey, Jim. 
just came out this week, but apparently it's getting great reviews and he's getting great reviews. So, uh, and he's sort of a, he's sort of like an eighties, nineties action star. Uh, so Daniel's going to star in it. And it's, the, the script itself is quite good. I did not write the script. It's in the vein of Lionheart. It's that kind of a movie. It's basically uh, illegal underground fights. And this guy gets involved with these fights. He's got to fight for, um, you know, a family member. So it's like the Lionheart in many ways. That's why they, they went after me to uh, direct this film. Then I've got another one called Lioness. And it's for a female action star. That's been percolating for a while. My, my friend, uh, Luis Esteban, has optioned it. He's got some, he's got some money people that he's working with. And uh, we've got Michael Jai White's wife is slated to star in it, play the lead character. And Michael Jai White's going to be in it as well. And those are the only two actors we have so far. <clears throat> Brian's name has been mentioned many times for one of the lead roles. We'll, we'll see how that goes. Okay, Brian. But Brian's part of my repertory company here. You know, Don Bob Van Damme and Brian Thompson. Like, had to use them in every damn movie. But we'll see how that goes. And uh, I'm working on another project called Warrior Island, which is based on a uh, comic book. Brian, how about yourself? What are you working on these days? I am doing what I normally do in my acting career, which is looking for the next big job. I uh, unfortunately got a bit spoiled working on Macbeth with the, with uh, Mr. Denzel. That's a uh, it's you know getting to work on a large budget art project where you actually get rehearsal spoils you a bit. And and luckily we're at that stage of our career where we don't have to take a job. We're we're covered. So I'm looking for the next part that is, you know, something that I haven't done before. Or even if it's something you've done before, but it's uh, it's got a good budget, it's got a good cast, you would you'd probably do it. Or if I get to work with my friends, that's the next thing. There you go. Okay. Right. Because uh, some of the low-budget movies that I've worked on were the most satisfying because they allowed you to have more input. Perfect Target was mentioned earlier. I think it looked like Corey had to leave us, but uh, that was one of the more low-budget projects that I've made. And we had the tightest shooting schedule ever. It was like 20 days or 21 days. But we had a lot of fun making it. I must say, one of my more, more enjoyable experiences, we were, in, we're in Puerto Vallarta, Mexico. Okay, So we're in this resort town. We're all staying in this resort hotel. We had um, uh, Robert England. Was Brian's uh, co-conspirator. Okay, so we had our two baddies were Brian Thompson and Robert England, uh, and we had a we had a really good Mexican cast. A beautiful soap opera star, Julieta. Julieta Rosen. Right. Julieta Rosen. Right. We and we had this strange Serbian woman playing a Mexican. Remember uh, Dara Tomanovic? A cool thing about that movie: it's got great action sequences because. The fight choreographer was Chad Stahelski. Well, Chad has gone on. He's directed all the John Wick movies. Yeah. And uh, David Leach was there, too. It was David Leach's first movie. And Brian, you remember David Leach from The Order? Right? Yeah, absolutely. And David David doubled the Van Damme. And David's gone on to direct some big movies. He's, he's been doing huge movies. Those guys have become like the uh, two action kings of Hollywood lately. So, yeah, we had both of them on the film. Interesting little anecdote. 
David Leach was Jean-Claude's stunt double on The Order, which Riot was also in. Riot, of course, playing playing a villainous character as usual. Yeah, it was we're just going with typecasting of that one. But although he played this religious leader, so that was a bit different. So you didn't realize he was a villain at first. Although I must say, people when people see Brian Thompson, they hear Brian Thompson, some people They're said, the spiffest. We know we know he's gonna be the villain. All right. We know there's something not there's something not straight about this character. Well, untrue. You know, this year's projects, I, I played the older, wiser pickleball player for, uh, you know, a series for Roku. I'm the older, wiser pickleball player with advice for the youngins. Well, that's a far cry from um, the, uh, the Night Stalker. And what was, what was your character's name in Mortal Kombat? Uh, Shao Kahn. We're supposed to have this big final fight at the end with Van Damme versus Brian Thompson. And uh, I wanted it to be a sword fight. We had all this medieval stuff in there, this uh, medieval order, and uh, and we were shooting in Israel. And so um, Brian had done on the Conan show, Universal, for a number of years. So he's, he was quite adept with swords. And David Leach was also a real expert when it came to edged weapons. So... I had a perfect combination for an awesome sword fight. So Brian and David spent days working on the choreography for this sword fight. And then um, on the day we get to the set, Jean-Claude, who is not who is not adept with weapons at all, just decided, I'm not going to learn how to do this shit. Let's just forget about the sword fight. Let's do some other stuff. And David was very, very disappointed because he had worked out a great sequence. And Brian, of course, I know you were. We had rehearsed hours. Right, right. Um, and it wasn't that it wasn't that John Claude couldn't do it. It just he couldn't remember it. it right, right, yeah. And it was it, it was extremely dangerous because you didn't know where the sword swing was going to come from. And we had we had fake swords. We had real swords also, and they weren't real sharp. But even so. It, it was a dangerous. It was a dangerous sequence to shoot, and I think John Claude just realized uh, I'm probably going to get hurt, or I'm going to hurt somebody because I don't know what the hell I'm doing when it comes to swords. Oh, and then remember he was saying he wanted he wanted to fly like like Matrix had been out at that time, and he wanted to like float through the air and something. Right, it was like, right. yeah. So we set that up. We set up the cabling system, and that didn't work out too well simply because he wasn't cooperating with us, and. You know, it was David. You couldn't commu- and you couldn't communicate with him. Right, right. And David is the one who was setting up this 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 cable system. So basically, Jean Claude just he pissed off the guy who is basically one of the the kings of action movies nowadays. So if you go to David Leach and Chad Stahelski and you say, um, hey, what if we get Jean Claude Van Damme to do a cameo in the next John Wick? They're gonna say Sorry, but no, no, let's, we've, we've got some other choices and we'll go, we'll go with them instead. But yeah, basically, you know, those, those, he didn't realize it at the time, but David was the wrong guy to piss off. He was the wrong guy to pull the rug out from under. And I think he's been, if you mention John Claude, he will not have positive things to say. I'm sorry to say that here on, on this Zoom session, but it's true. That happened. Ryan was there. We would have had an awesome, 
storage fight, but he just didn't want to do it. So, so there is this very, a very disappointing ending, I think. Yeah, and you know, you're scared. If an actor is scared and has to work in front of a camera, it's not going to work. And I was, I was scared. I was scared because I didn't know what John Todd was going to do with that sword. It was 100% unpredictable. Right, right. He's got a lot of control with his with his legs, with his hands, but holding a weapon in his hands, uh, yeah, you can't. You really can't predict how that's going to go. I don't think he's ever done a any kind of a weapons fight that lasted more than a, a few seconds. I certainly never did one with him. This was going to be the first time, and he just didn't want to do it. Now, Mark Dacascos was a completely different story when it came to weapons. Mark was really good with weapons, and he'd been training with weapons a good portion of his adult life. So with Mark, I had uh, we, did, we, did a, we did a lot of weapons stuff in, in Only Was Strong, and there's never any worries about uh, Mark hurting anybody or about Mark getting hurt. So different actor, different kind of scene. As long as you're doing the kicks and the punches, Jean-Claude's great. But uh, don't use knives and swords. And, you know, guns, of course, anybody can do guns. All right? All you got to do is hold it up, pull the trigger, and it goes boom, boom, boom. Uh, but swords, that's, uh, uh, that's a completely different ballgame. So once again, the name of the book is Sheldon Ledditch from Vietnam to Van Dam. The name of the short film that is now restored and available for you to watch on YouTube is Firefight. Thank you so much, Mr. Ledditch. Thank you so much, Mr. Thompson. This has been fantastic. You're very welcome. Thank you. 